Good morning, everyone. My friends, priests will gather this week and uh, for our annual retreat, and we'll be discuss discussing the partners in the gospel, and then the initiative that's coming with that, which will be the uh, parish families. And uh, that drive to uh, Ocean Shores is two hours, and I'll tell you a secret about me. I sing in the car, <laughs> and I can't sing <laughs> or chant. So I'm just going to sit there. I know the words to this. I know the words, and I can't sing. I can attempt to sing, but by the time I get to Ocean Shores, I will have no voice at all. And maybe that will be a blessing <laughs> to everyone. So my friends, uh, our gospel today, uh, just before what was read, the gospel reading, the event that happens just before what we were, uh, Jesus had healed some people. And when he did this, it angered the religious authorities of his time, they became very angry with him. But at the same time, uh, it aroused curiosity and hunger in the people. And Jesus looked around and he saw that many of them uh, were in need. And um, he tells the disciples, the harvest is plenty, but the laborers are few. And uh, my friends, I wondered if Jesus were to say, do those very same things right now, what would it elicit in our time? I think it would be the same. It would elicit anger from some and curiosity and hunger in others to see this holy man. And uh, my friends, um, generally speaking, um, the Catholic Church of late, we are short on ministers, meaning on the ordained ministry of bishops, priests, and deacons. Uh, they certainly deliver the word of God and the sacraments of the Catholic Church, and most of the priests are spread thin these days. And um, at the same time, the congregations are actually getting bigger. And since COVID, uh, some of the parishes, they have not returned to their normal ministries and the full ministries. And um, you can see where that's a problem. Your congregation's getting bigger, but you have less mass, or you have less of the ministry. That's not addressing or attending to God's children as he would want. And I suspect this is part of the reason why we will have the partners in the gospel and then the parish families. And um, all of you should know that St. Nicholas will be coming part of a family. So um, I just don't know what that configuration is yet. And uh, certainly the priests will be discussing that uh, at Ocean Shores this week. And then the Archbishop will deliver a general message to all of you. And this shouldn't be new. We talked about this a couple months ago. He'll deliver a message to the people of uh, Western Washington, uh, alerting them to what this will look like completely in September. And uh, my friends, one of the things uh, I told the people, they laughed, uh, I had a nightmare that... Um, I woke up and we had a, we became part of a family parish and it was 30,000 people and I didn't know anybody and they didn't know me and you didn't know each other. And this is one of my anxieties. Um, now, for the Protestants who have megachurches, this is kind of normal, but it isn't for us. And um, one of the things that uh, I'm worried about, one of the casualties in such large communities is the sense of community where um, people don't know each other and uh, 
parishioners don't feel that it's home anymore. And uh, so we will look for ways to navigate this. And um, one of the things uh, the Partners in Gospels will do, will ask the laity to begin to stand up more and to start doing more. And um, uh, we certainly uh, can pray uh, for vocations, but um, the rest of this homily is going to discuss uh, what does this look like, really? And uh, my friends, I begin with, um, I looked at Jesus and how he chose these men. And um, there was a story associated with each one. Even though we don't know everything about them, about every apostle, but we know they're like us. So each one of you have a story that someone can share. So the apostles, each one, in addition to their personal names that we were just given, they have personalities and they have their own stories. And, but what we do know of them, that they were far from being perfect and they were far from being holy. And, um, but yet Jesus still called them, and more importantly, he sent them. He made them his ambassadors. Uh, he said, in my name will you go now. And he gave them new life. Their lives changed, and that's the way it should be when we have a relationship with Christ. And he gave, uh, we're told in the gospel today about Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew and James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. There was Philip and Bartholomew. There's Thomas. And there's Matthew, the tax collector. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon from Cana. And then we never forget about Judas Iscariot, who would become the traitor in the group. And... Um, Jesus is the Son of God, so he read human hearts, so he knew them to the depths of their heart. Matthew mentions two sets of brothers in particular, Peter and Andrew at the beginning, and remember Peter denies Jesus three times. Andrew, like the other apostles, abandoned Jesus on the day of crucifixion. The next two brothers are James, the son of Zebedee, and John. And John, as we know, was the only apostle that stuck around on the day of crucifixion. He stuck by the ladies. He was at a little bit of a distance, but he was there. The other ones had run off. And um, it makes me wonder about, uh, about them. And uh, it was John who stuck around. And James, remember, they sent mom to Jesus. Remember, they prompted, Mom, go and talk to Jesus and tell him we want to sit at his left and his right. It was these two who put their mother up to this. And it uh, gives us a better picture of them. Um, I bring this up, um, my friends. Um, and these are just the four apostles that we know more about. Uh, each one um, of them had personalities about them. And many of us, I wonder, would be surprised if we knew them in great detail, the way Jesus did. But it didn't change anything for Jesus. I thought, could he have called better men at the time? He probably could have, but he didn't. The 12 were certainly specifically chosen by him. He hand-picked them. It was, remember, he went to the mountain, prayed with his father, came back and chose them after speaking with his father in heaven. And these 12 were certainly different types of people. They had their distinctive names. 
and they were selected to represent Christ. And the other thing that, biblically speaking, he chose 12 because this represented the 12 tribes of Israel, meaning Jesus was going to put forth something new for Israel. And when we look, what we do know of these men is they were very diverse in their personalities. They had different types of political affiliations and understandings, and they had different professions. And uh, remember, Matthew is a tax collector, and uh, he worked for the Roman government. Simon is the zealot. He couldn't stand the Roman government. So I thought, when they came together for dinner at night, did Jesus put them at the opposite ends of the table? because they were glaring at each other and fighting with each other. and But he put them together as a unit. And um, it was through his personal presence with them that they would be changed, that he would bring them together with all their diversity for the service of his Father, to promote the kingdom of God on earth, to go and to announce his presence and about God's love. Now as then, all the disciples are called to be partners in the healing ministry of Jesus, to heal society and uh, to proclaim God's work. And by that, all the disciples, I mean you guys, you are the disciples today. At the time that Jesus was walking, he didn't refer to the 12 as apostles. That comes later. He referred to them as his friends, as his disciples. And I bring this up because it gives me hope, and it should give you hope, that uh, Jesus' choice of these men to lead his church was wonderful. And uh, you guys know with me, um, sometimes I wonder, what was Jesus thinking when he asked me to be a priest? Because I ran away for a long time. From him, and I still was like, Are you sure you made the right choice here? <laughs> and I thought I'd probably be very comfortable with those 12 men <laughs> because they have a clouded past, and so do I. They aren't perfect, and neither am I. So I would find this. But they also had something else in common, and that was Jesus and their faith and their commitment to him. And in this house right now, we have diverse people who are his disciples. We have those who are married, those who are not married, priests, the deacon, and uh, um, all of us have something in common from our baptism, and that is we are to walk in holiness and that we are to build up the kingdom of God together. And um, all those apostles that he chose with the exception of one are saints, all of them. Imperfect as they are, they became saints. Judas Iscariot chose something different. So my friends, um, we hear on this afternoon this account in Jesus. Um, he saw them, he was worried about them, and he said, ask the master to send more laborers. And we certainly do this when we come together and offer the mass. We ask for more priests, more deacons, more people to religious life. And we are asking God um, not only to call these men to service, but to prepare them so that they become good pastors and that they will love you and take care of you because you belong to his Father. Priests, deacons, and religious are essential to our way of life as Catholics. But 
I believe Jesus was talking about something even more. I believe that um, in addition to the ministerial priesthood that I belong to, Jesus was talking to what we call in biblical speak the royal priesthood, to which all of you belong. Everyone who's baptized belongs to the royal priesthood. We heard it in that first reading. You'll hear it in the prayers. So that means that you have a vocation and a ministry also to do. In your own state of life, absolutely. You have all been baptized, and as such, you have been given a vocation, a vocation that is particular to being a Christian. And uh, all of you have your specific occupations, medicine, science, law, technology. However, as Christians, the overriding principle or vocation that is proper to you is that as a disciple of Christ. As members of Christ's church, you are called to holiness, to walk in that holiness, to commit yourselves to Christ also. And I believe this begins, and I think this is sometimes where we miss it as a church, is we have to recognize that God is the source of all things. If we do, our hearts would be more grateful, and then we would use these very gifts to help each other and to do it without cost as the scriptures said. So my friends, I went back to John's gospel because <clears throat> people are like, okay, Father, that's great. You told us, what do we do? So here's what you do. We pray, obviously, but um, on that first Holy Thursday, on that uh, Last Supper, Jesus stated in John's gospel, and John recorded, I have given you a model to follow so that as I have done for you, you should also do. Our Lord meant that for not only the ones that we call apostles, but for anyone else who would follow him. So what is it that you disciples should be doing? Praying? Coming to Mass? Yes, absolutely. But the gospel opens with telling us that Jesus' heart was moved, meaning he had great concern but then he didn't stop there. He went on from that point. And um, I think we find in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, the answer we're looking for. There it says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me to drink. A stranger and you clothed me ill and you cared for me in prison and you visited me the final comments that john records about or matthew records is they asked jesus when did we do these things for you and jesus said whenever you did this for someone else you did this for me so this is what you're supposed to be doing these are the things you're supposed to be doing this is the template for living out our vocation as disciples, and I thought about this, and I thought I pray all the time for uh, more vocations, and I pray for more laborers uh, to help. And I believe Jesus has sent the answer. My little priest, I have sent you an answer, and they're sitting in your pews. <laughs> Stop asking me <laughs> for more. You have them already. So it makes me question when I go for the next couple of days, I'm going to reflect and pray upon this. Have I failed as pastor? 
If Jesus has told me, I've answered your prayers, what you need is in your pew, then have I failed? And if so, then I will have to come back and double up and begin to draw out more from you. And this will become important because, um, my friends, uh, I've been talking about holiness and discipleship. We need ministers in the church, lectors and readers and uh, singers for the gospel, uh, for the choir. And uh, so and there's lots of ministries, not only in the church, but outside the church. The one thing that I think this world needs is to hear God's message. The world says, I don't need God, but they do. They're lost. They just can't figure it out. And that's not a derogatory statement. That's not meanness. That's they do. They just don't know. So, my friends, I will be praying about what have I not done properly. That's good. That's not a bad thing. It's a good thing for the pastor to think about it. Where have I failed? And how can I change that? And that's going to be necessary because on July 24th, things are changing in this archdiocese. And we are going to have to walk with this. The archbishop has prayed he says the Holy Spirit has asked that this be done. So we have to do this. And St. Nicholas will become part of a bigger family. I just don't know what that configuration is. We can be afraid. We can be filled with anxiety. Or we can stand with courage. And one of the things that I want to do is strengthen this community of Gig Harbor. I want to strengthen St. Nicholas Parish as a family so that we will be strong and courageous and faith-filled and have love, and we will walk what needs to be walked. We will walk into the new family. And we will do what is necessary for the building up of the kingdom. The one thing that the apostles all had, because when Jesus first called them, they were arrogant. Some of them were ignorant. <laughs> I'm not being mean. You guys go read the scriptures. These guys were messed up. <laughs> But something changed. His very presence changed them. And they became men of courage and love and honor and fidelity. And it worked out for them. So that means it will work out for us also in our time. We just have to make ourselves present to Christ. We do that as Catholics by coming here and praying together and by surrounding ourselves with the Eucharist to allow Christ to transform us as he transformed them into powerhouses. So we will become that also. But we have to be open to the Spirit. We have to allow this to happen. So my friends, what I'm asking of you, please, pray for our gathering. As the Archbishop gathers with us and we're in Ocean Shores, we will be discussing in great lengths and details the partners in the gospel and the parish family and how that's going to look. But my friends, uh, Jesus changed the world with 12 men who were bumbling around. I think he's going to do a really good thing with the 1,500 families at St. Nicholas and Gig Harbor if we just trust and turn ourselves over to him completely and allow him to transform. As he transforms us, then we go about transforming our communities here in the world. And I think ultimately this is what the Archbishop is looking for and hoping for. But it requires all of you to step up and to become those things. And I will continue looking for ways to encourage you, pray for you, um, know of my love for you. I hope you know that. I know you know God loves you, but I hope you know your pastor loves you, even if he makes mistakes. 